0: places where there's high minority uh, populations, they b- bear by
1: far the most uh, burden of uh, deaths from tropical cyclone. Hello and welcome back to the Agents of Change and Environmental Justice podcast, a partnership between Environmental Health News and Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. I'm Brian Binkowski, your host, senior editor at Environmental Health News and the editor of Agents of Change. This, of course, is a bonus episode We are usually here every other Wednesday, so you can hear this podcast again next week on Wednesday. But today I had to get this out because we spoke with Dr. Robbie Parks, a senior fellow from our program and an assistant professor of environmental health sciences at Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. Parks and colleagues recently published a study that looked at hurricanes over the last 30 years. They found that hurricanes have become much deadlier in recent years and are hitting people who are already socially vulnerable hardest. The study comes as the U.S. enters hurricane season, and we spoke as communities are still picking up the pieces from Hurricane Adelia. Parks talks about how hurricanes have become deadlier and how we can better protect vulnerable communities. Enjoy! I'm now joined by Dr. Robbie Parks, who a lot of you may remember from a previous podcast. Robbie, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, and we are speaking at a, a opportune time to be talking to somebody like you, but an inopportune time for many people dealing with the things that you study. So we're talking on Tuesday, September 5th. And as we speak, communities are still picking up the pieces after Hurricane Adalia. And I saw this morning there's another system moving toward the central tropical Atlantic. So before we get into your new research, which is why we're here, can you just kind of give us the lay of the land on where hurricane season is right now and and what we can expect?
0: Thanks, Brian. Well, you know, as uh, many people have seen probably in in the news, you know, it's a busy hurricane season. And those in El Nino year, which typically is seen to be a bit less active in the Atlantic in the basin, this year, uh, you know, due to the fact that the temperature is so high, uh, is compensating for that. And that is making this season actually higher than average um, activity. And so we're expecting, you know, it's sept- beginning of September now as we record. So we're expecting, a, 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 unfortunately, probably a busy next uh, few weeks with regards to hurricanes.
1: And you and colleagues recently published a study that looked at hurricanes over the last 30 years and um, and found some pretty surprising results. And I'm just going to add you know, what did you do? What did your team do? And what did you find?
0: So, you know, with regards to the study that we published uh, recently, we wanted to understand Uh, from a consistent uh, basis over space and time, who died where uh, across hurricane names uh, throughout the United States mainland over the past 30 or so years. And so whenever we see fatality counts from hurricanes... That is a result of a lot of work that people have been doing over many decades to try and understand, say, does a person die from drowning? Does a person die by flying debris and so on? Um, However, each methodology, as was demonstrated by Hurricane Maria, uh, sadly, with Puerto Rico in 2017, different methodologies can disagree quite a lot about how many people actually died after cyclones. And that largely is a function uh, of the fact that the different approaches have been taken to counting the number of people who die after uh, hurricanes and and other tropical cyclones. And so this uh, study that we recently published was an attempt to try and standardize the way that that was done across space and time throughout the United States to get truly comparable results uh, across hurricane names, across counties, across states, uh, across the United States.
1: And when we think about some of the more vulnerable regions of the country, where did you find that these exist?
0: And so, typically, the the, the, the very vulnerable uh, parts of the country pretty much align with the hurricane-prone uh, areas. And so, that really, you know, if you think of the areas which are most prone to being hit by hurricanes, although they're random, they're largely along the east coast and and the, the south coast. The the, the um, the Gulf areas, the Gulf states and the South. And so that, you know, unfortunately lines up a lot with people who are, you know, of course, uh, very, very uh, poor and very, very um, vulnerable uh, through different uh, mechanisms. And part of that being the fact that they are, you know, by the coast, but that part of that also being by virtue of the fact that many are of lower income relative to the national picture of course there are many wealthy people in the united states who live on the coast and in fact nearly 50 percent of all people uh in the united states are in sort of tropical cyclone impacted areas and so that's largely along the coast in the east and the south and what makes them vulnerable is a function of the fact that they are hit more often a fact of their infrastructure being such that uh, they are living in areas which are more vulnerable potentially. And that could be to do with power infrastructure, that could be to do with housing material and so on and so forth. But also part of it is to do with people's personal means to to accommodate uh, a hurricane in the sense that they are able to uh, evacuate if they are wealthy enough or they have transport access or, or mechanisms to do that. Or they're living in areas which are safe enough that the hurricane will pose less of a risk. Um, so, for example, if they're not living in floodplains or near flash flood areas. And so all of those, uh, conf- you know, combine really to, to me- mean that a lot of these areas in the south and the east, which are particularly hit by hurricanes, are, are particularly vulnerable.
1: When we think of deaths, we think of, uh, you know, so there's the initial kind of storm surge, and I I guess that could certainly cause fatalities. But what are some other maybe downstream impacts of these storms that cause deaths in communities?
0: Yes, of course, the the shadow of a hurricane could be very long, uh, but in terms of, you know, that could last even decades if you're thinking about long-term health outcomes for places like uh, Orleans Parish, uh, Uh, and places impacted by Katrina and and, and Sandy in in the sort of uh, Northeast. uh, But in terms of the sort of indirect impacts in the aftermath of a hurricane, that can include things like, you know, having, uh, you know, heart attacks because you are sort of in cleaning up or you've got debris to clean up and you're in the process of doing that, for example, uh, for your own property after, you know, in the recovery period. There could be uh, other injuries, you know, related to self-inflicted injuries or injuries to do with circumstances that have changed behavior. And that could include things like uh, uh, violence, unfortunately. Um, Now, of course, you've got um, respiratory uh, diseases can increase afterwards. And that is largely a function of, for example, Uh, power cuts resulting in interruption of power supply for essential breathing aids. But it could also be from the fact that there's dust uh, and other debris that's been um, spewed up into the atmosphere that we're breathing in uh, in the short term after a hurricane. And of course, you know, this could be part of compound events. So there could be, you know, a lot of of recent work and, and some of my own is looking into compound exposure. So if there's a heat wave, unfortunately, at the same time, as a hurricane and there is a power cut, then all of the heat wave uh, related vulnerabilities come into play and compound with hurricane vulnerabilities, both in direct and indirect ways. And of course, you've got infectious and parasitic diseases which can spread after uh, hurricanes, be it via the water supply or be it via people having to be in closer proximity to each other, say if they're evacuated into close quarters. And and of course, um, people who are living with dementia uh, and under care are particularly vulnerable too. So after hurricanes, if their uh, interruption to their care occurs, that, that, that can result in you know, uh, interruption to care, disruption to their timetables, disruption to their people they see, people who care about them, and, and you know, death rates can go up uh, precipitously for people living with dementia, from neuropsychiatric conditions in general.
1: I believe I have this right that as you looked at this time frame that hurricanes became more deadlier in more recent years, and I'm wondering if there's a hypothesis as to why that's the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the sort of key findings that we found really in, in the recent paper in Science Advance is that more recent uh, years seem to have more more deaths attributable to the hurricanes that pass through. Now, that could be largely to three reasons I I, I, summar, I summarise. And, and the first, of course, is that population is going up. So we're looking at absolute numbers of people who died. And it's not adjusted by the population increase. Of course, you can adjust by population increase to get raped. But, you know, often in the press, you hear about how many people died. So we wanted to provide an absolute number. So population increase is driving that. Um, Of course, climate change is, you know, making hurricane seasons in general stronger. And so what I mean by that is that when they're making landfall, hurricanes tend to be stronger faster wind speeds more rain more prone to flooding and so you could argue they're more dangerous now of course that's offset that's been offset in the past 100 years by um, amazing abilities to forecast cyclones but you know now are we reaching the limit in the past 40 years of the ability for um, preparation to to discount some of the worst impacts of the hurricanes Um, and so recent years may may sort of Be indicating that, but I think a large part of it really is the third component, which is how we choose to sort of allow different parts of society to be adequately prepared and adequately recovered uh, in preparation for the next hurricane, and that really is a function of inequality, uh, inequity, uh, racism, and historical neglect. And so, part large parts of areas of the United States which have been affected by hurricanes. And have also had a disproportionate burden of the number of deaths uh, from large percentage minority areas. And so that social component is also a factor here. And so all three of those population increase, climate change and the inequality in society is sort of really driving that, that increase in recent years too.
1: You've mentioned Sandy, Katrina, uh, Hurricane Maria. I think most of us have seen these and and knew their impact, Um, maybe not to the extent that you all found. But what surprised you when you did this research? Was there anything that stuck out to you that you didn't expect?
0: I I think certainly the the idea that there are more deaths in recent years than, say, a few decades back, that that was particularly sort of um, gave gave us pause for thought And I I think that was particularly new. I think in in another sense was we expected that most uh, most of the deaths would be in poorer areas. However, we were very struck by, in particular, the places with large minority vulnerable uh, populations in the United States had a by far outsized uh, uh, proportion of the number of excess deaths that we uh, measured. And so there was, you know, over over ninety percent were. Uh, in, the, in the most vulnerable third of counties in the united states impacted by cyclones and which were particularly uh, vulnerable um, as measured by minority and so just to translate that that sort of means that in places where there's high minority uh, populations they but bear by far the most uh, burden of uh, deaths from tropical cyclones and and so that although although it's not surprising necessarily is shocking. And I think that shock is, is really the disproportionate amount um, that that uh, set of counties has, has, has borne over the past few decades. Um, and so, you know, really, I think those take home messages are important.
1: I have a two-part question to close here. What could or should be done by people in power, I'm thinking uh, uh, government agencies and, and hurricane response teams, to to mitigate this impact on vulnerable communities? And the second part is, for communities who are looking at this season and may be in the path of one of these, what can they do to protect themselves?
0: Yeah, so of course... Um, there's so much amazing work done by so many people to prepare uh, communities, evacuate communities and recover communities on an individual basis and on a community basis. And so I would I would, uh, you know, really just heap praise upon those people who are doing so much there. And that, that goes to from, the, from the, the governor level all the way down to the local politics level and to the local community members level uh, in places particularly hit by hurricanes. So, you know, what I'm about to say is not really directed at them, but it's more when you take a step back and look at the national picture, much in other um, sort of justice areas of the United States and the world, when you look at the statistics at large, you have to acknowledge that if you uh, count the number of people that are dying and they're much more in places which are more vulnerable, particularly for minority areas, we have to take an approach which takes that into account. So, that's not to criticize any individual effort. That's really just to say that there is a national picture which suggests that minority areas are particularly vulnerable to hurricanes. Now, what you do with that information is the next question. If you agree that that is the national picture, then it becomes about recovery and resilience um, in the long term. And that long term translates to money, and that money translates really to uh, federal and state resources investing in an equitable way in those areas to prepare them for the next Sandy, for the next Katrina, because that will inevitably come, unfortunately. But the way that the survivability of those hurricanes, both in the short to long term, increases in particularly vulnerable areas is with the correct resource allocation that could be from, uh, you know, strengthening power lines, weatherization of houses. Um, and that could be all to do with, you know, in, improving the quality of roads. You know, infrastructure is, you know, a catch-all for the way that that could be done. But in terms of people's means to escape and means to evacuate and evacuate to adequate accommodation, that should, in my view, be taken in an uh, in a justice, through a justice lens. Because, you know, not, as I said one more time, you know i don't want to take away from any effort that any one person or any communities do because it's very valuable but when you take a step back when you have a justice lens you do realize that some of this is really matching a lot of the other national pictures with regards to environment with regards to social justice with regards to climate justice and so i would take an equitable approach
1: and if I'm in a community right now, and I'm seeing this next storm surge come, and maybe I don't fully trust trust the the, the government to give me the proper um, care and uh, and advance warning, what do you recommend for people like that during this uh, tense season?
0: Yeah, evacuation is is ideal. Evacuation is a luxury. So if you can't evacuate, then then that's totally understandable. I think in terms of the local authorities I would first of all certainly listen to them they 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 really know what they're doing and they've done this many times before and I think you know listening to them you know my expertise is not in emergency planning however I do think that there are people who do it a lot in local government and and in local communities who who should be listened to and I think that's speaking really to the trust in 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 authority and trust in uh, local communities and how uh, society ultimately, and how you how you sort of agree on that. And so, really, I think you know this problem is is multi layered, and and the depth of resilience and the depth of recovery uh, is proportional to the amount of money and, and the amount of time that we have. But if any one person is in a hu- in the in the path of a hurricane, that they, they might re- think about where they can get to, um, and then they might think about who they can listen to. And I think both of those, you know, first of all, evacuation is unfortunately luxury with the second i think there are many people with emergency planning who they should uh, you know listen to the local radio listen to watch the local tv see what see what they're suggesting and i think part of that um, can can really help
1: well robbie thank you so much for your time today we will add a link to this study so people can check it out during this season and it was great to have you back on the podcast
0: uh, it's been a pleasure brian thanks good to see you again